If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, especially in today's economy. But over 31,000 businesses do know their numbers because they use NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, planning, budgeting, and inventory, so you can manage risk and improve margins. Everything you need, all in one place. See why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash offer. netsuite.com slash offer. This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit simplemobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at simplemobile.com. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, for Movie Lovers Tonight, John Diagorio. For today's segment, I'm going to be talking about how has horror movies changed since the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and of course, present day 2000s. And, you know, as always, horror, a horror movie genre is something that seeks to elect fear for entertainment purposes by authors like Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, and Mary Shelley. But over the years, horror movies have changed when you look at the genre as a whole. You still have some authors like Stephen King where movies are based off of literature and some that are original ideas mixed with unnecessary remakes and reboots. But how has it changed? I'm glad you asked. The 1970s pushed the envelope when you look at films like I Spit on Your Grave, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hills Have Eyes, that later on gave us a spat of zombie films like Dawn of the Dead and Deep River, Shock Factor, The Exorcist, and Jaws. Now, here's what I have to say about some of these movies. First off, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite movies in the 1970s. The way that movie was actually filmed, the way the style was, and the way that they were able to do the camera angles, the way they were able to do things was just fantastic. Not only that, but if you even look at it, it comes close to what the Blair Witch Project was with filming as a realistic type of way to actually film something. And then, too, they also gave us something to be scared of. When you're confronted against Leatherface. Because here's the thing. This dude is six foot tall. He has a chainsaw in his hand. He cuts off people's heads. And then later on. He winds up putting their faces on his head as masks. And there's just something scary about that. It's something that you can actually be scared of. And only that. But when, he's actually protecting the home that he lives in. He lives in a basement. And if you even come across Leatherface in the basement or anything like that. And he actually comes out of the basement. It's pretty much game over from there because of the fact that you know you awaken this beast he's coming at you you don't know how to stop him and you know you actually want to know how these characters are actually going to be facing off against him and everything how are they going to take him down are they going to survive this whole entire nightmare are they going to end up being okay and that's what i like from this this is the originality behind leatherface not only that but if you also think about it too the slow pacing for this film and then the camera angles that they use, how they pan over to get Leatherface, back over to the characters. It gives you that fear of something that's actually going to happen. Some, that fear of, are these characters going to make it out alive or not? And that's actually something that you want to actually care about this whole, as a whole with this movie. Another thing, too, 
even the score and everything for this movie too, it makes you on the edge of your seat as well because what, music has a lot of impact to actually know how this movie's going to go, how the pacing's going to flow. Is this movie going to be even relatable to where you can actually be scared of something? And this movie actually elevates the whole entire thing because of the movie uh, music as well. And so Texas Chainsaw Massacre for me is actually a top of the list for horror movies actually to check out. And then when you have mo- movies like Salem's Lot, it was, like I mentioned before, with Stephen King. And, you know, it's that little tapping at the door. Not knowing if I should let this person in or anything at night. And this tapping at the window as well. Should I let this person in? I think he might be a vampire. I don't know if he's a vampire or not. There's that mystery to it. There's that mystery element of something creepy going on in Salem's Lot. And you don't know if this thing is actually going to... if this person is actually going to be a vampire or not and you don't know if you should trust this person or not to let this person in and there's that creepy element to that because of that mystery and then it's also the storytelling the originality behind Stephen King's work with the adaption of the book too and that's something too that you actually have to think about as well the originality behind Stephen King and the way he actually does things with his books and how relatable that the characters actually are and you can actually feel something with those characters and you know am I and you know what I think that it's actually something that you can actually look forward to in something with Salem's Lot I think that the pacing is just is just great on it it has that slow tension build up and once it's let go it just releases and it unleashes this whole entire hell where these people are trying to escape the desert from from the, the vampires and everything else. And I think it's just a fantastic movie altogether. And even like I mentioned with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the score for it as well, it keeps you on the edge of your seat too because you're being energized, you're being focused in this whole entire movie. You actually feel like that you're in Salem's lot, that you actually want these characters to survive. And you're wondering too the whole entire time, how are they going to survive? How are they actually going to get through this thing? And you know what? Salem's Lot is still one of my favorite movies today. Even though it's getting a remake, and yes, I know remakes has been the big thing in Hollywood lately, but I'm excited about it because of the fact that it's going to be produced by James Wan, and that makes me even more excited because I love how James Wan directs his movies as well as produces movies, and they don't just slap his name onto just any movie, just say, James Wan. And you know what? Yeah, I get the fact that they did it with The Nun, but the fact, too, that this, he's actually, I've been following the news reports and everything, he's actually keyed in to the remake and everything he's actually gonna be having his fingerprints on this movie so that makes me even more excited for it for the remake so tell me what you guys think do you like sims lot do you like the idea of a remake happening tell me what you guys think then to another movie that i actually love that's actually still a classic today is jaws jaws is one of those movies that changed the whole entire genre as a whole too because of the fact that there's just something creepy beneath us something that makes us not want to go in the water especially that opening scene where you see this woman swimming into the ocean and she's swimming and then all of a sudden something just grabs her and then the credits roll and that's when the opening that's when you see the opening title of jaws comes in and there's that sense of mystery of what happened to this woman in the water what happened and everything and then Bro- officer brody comes in and he realizes that there's actually a shark that's actually attacking the beach of cape cod and he's telling people to get out of the water nobody believes him that there's a shark coming that there's a shark or there's another shark and therefore he gets on a boat this is how much he wants to protect his family and friends 
he gets on a boat. He hires these other two men with him. And they go on a boat to try and take down this shark that's actually causing hell and havoc on this ocean water, on this beach, to where people can actually feel safe again, be able to sleep at night. And, you know, you want, and then here's another thing, too. During the making of this film, the animatronic for the shark actually winded up not working. And that's how they actually had to make this thing. They actually had to use other props to actually make it look like the shark is attacking something. An example is the barrels and everything. The animatronic was not working, so they actually had to use the barrels as a way to actually look at something that's being knocked down as a way to, of tracking something in the water and stuff like that. So I thought that was actually pretty cool because of the fact that we don't see practical effects like that anymore. You don't see anything that directors are trying to do to improve their stuff. They all rely on CGI. And here's the thing. I like the fact that Steven Spielberg actually did something original. It's actually a great slow pacing film and then it picks up and then once it actually finishes up and everything you have this big old huge thing of, of a safe feeling because of what happens in the movie but yeah that uh, for me Jaws is the perfect classic original movie that's really good for the horror genre and I re- strongly recommend that especially if you're going to film school and stuff like that even if you're a huge horror fan like I am I recommend that movie all wholeheartedly uh, another mo- another thing I mentioned too was the fact that, you know, they actually gave us, you know, this movie's actually by Wes Craven, The Hills Have Eyes. That's actually another creepy movie where you actually have this big, huge explosion that happens with the United States with the ato- and they're actually launching atomic bombs into the desert. And the so happens to be there's people that they don't even realize that lives in the, in the desert and they explode and the bomb explodes. And next thing you know it, this chemical reaction happens and everything and these people become deformed and next thing you know it, it's like a, to me I think it's like a perfect revenge story in a way if you see it through the eyes of the people that are in the hills have eyes because they actually take these other people that are traveling and then they're actually killing them and everything else and they're cannibals and they're eating them up and you're wondering too is this family even going to survive the desert or whatever because of these people that live in in these tunnels lives in this little small place are they even going to make it out alive and i like that throw factor in this thing because of that and you know what i think that's a perfect example of how great wes craven was as a director and you know what once i get into the 80s stuff you're going to end up seeing why because of the fact that i like nightmare on elm street and you're actually going to see why i like nightmare on elm street but you know and then like i said they actually gave us a spat of zombie films like dawn of the dead and everything and you know i like dawn of the dead for what it is i thought it was a great movie i still think i hold it up as a classic today as far as i'm concerned it's right there along with movies like day uh dawn of the dead not dawn of the dead but night of the living dead and other zombie films and matter of fact i'm even going to be talking about how zombie movies paved the certain zombie movies paved the way for what the walking dead is today but you know, if you haven't seen Dawn of the Dead, I strongly recommend the original. The remake is actually pretty good, but I strongly recommend Dawn of the Dead, the original movie. But that's just me. I hope that you guys follow up and actually tell me what you guys think, if you like Dawn of the Dead or not. Then, of course, there's the modern slasher films that happened in the 1970s as well. You also, ha- In Canada, we have Black Christmas. Black Christmas was actually remade in the United States. Thing I think back in 05 or 06. And then we also have Halloween. 
And matter of fact, that franchise is still going on today. For, uh, because here's the thing. They just got done doing a Halloween movie last year. I actually went to go out and see it. And you know, the 1970s thing, there was just something creepy. Something that is really creepy about this movie. Like, you have this stalker that's stalking these people out on Halloween. Not only that, but he's also an escape patient that escaped out on Halloween. And during that time, it was actually Laurie Strode that's actually related to Michael Myers. They actually changed that in this new one where it was just some strange guy that broke out of out of the mental institution. He goes on a killing spree. And so I have a speedy Laurie's the one who survives. And therefore, that's why he wants to kill her now. That's what, because he's the, she's the last survivor. She's the one who got away. So that's the plot of the last movie. But with this, there's just something creepy about the shape where this person is just over there just stalking you and looking at you in a creepy way with a mask on and a janitor's clothes. And you're wondering, what's going on? Is Lori going to be okay in this movie? And how is she going to survive this if once everything comes together? And you know what? The slow pace and the camera angles, you don't even see Michael that much either. You see him here and there, but it's like a first-person view like they did with Friday the 13th and that kind of style of filming, and I actually enjoy that kind of style of filming. But still, you still get to see the main character. You still get to see the main antagonist of what Michael Myers is. He's this shape that actually scares the hell out of you. And, you know, once everything comes full throttle, it just doesn't slow down from there. And, you know, Lori's over there babysitting this kid across the street, and all of a sudden Michael goes on ahead and goes and attacks them and she's running for a dear life and all her friends are dead and the way like I said the way this movie is shot it's just phenomenal about how they actually film this movie because it looks so real looking as well and also too the music in this the theme song for Halloween is still one of the most rememberable songs on a soundtrack today and you know I love the theme song for Halloween. I like this version. I, I mean, I like the 1970s version. I can appreciate what this new one was for what it was, and I enjoyed it, but the climax at the very end of it was kind of a letdown for me. But the 19, nothing can beat the 1970s version, including the Rob Zombie version. I like the Rob Zombie version. I can appreciate what he did with it as well. I enjoyed it. And also, like, like I said, the 1970s will always be the classic version of Halloween for me and it still holds up today in my in my honest in all honesty and you know what now I'm going to talk about the 80s horror movies and the first half of the 80s was defined by slasher films like Friday the 13th Prom Night A Nightmare on Elm Street while later on half half of it took a more lighthearted look at the genre and I'll get to that part in a minute but but I want to say this Friday the 13th, as I also mentioned with Halloween, was the first uh, first viewpoint of how this movie was filmed. You don't get to see the killer. There's that mystery aspect as to why these counselors are getting killed. And then once you find out why these counselors are getting killed, because the original camp counselors are actually having sex while kids are running around and everything, not paying attention to the kids. One kid drowned. His name was Michael. And then not only that, but... I'm not, I'm not, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm gonna go in and go into ter- spoiler territory, this movie's been out forever, but it turns out the mother was the one who was killing them because of those reasons, and therefore, 
Jason winds up being uh, winds up playing a major part in the franchise and everything, getting revenge for people that actually killed his mother and everything. And you know, nothing was to be honest with you in the '80s with this type of movie and everything. Nothing was done like this before with this first uh, point of view, besides uh, Halloween, where you actually have a killer that you don't actually see doing the style of killing. And you're wondering if these camp counselors are actually going to make it out alive. And two, even the... That that part right there was the little theme song to Friday the 13th was actually scary. It actually gives you the creeps. It actually gives you a feeling of unsettlement. It also gives you goosebumps. It also makes you wonder what's that bump at the, in the night because you want to feel that whole entire thing where you're scared you're wondering if something is downstairs or not if it's actually jason or not you've had that whole entire tension you and i like being scared it's like being on a roller coaster ride and it just keeps on going down once you go up and then you go down it's 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 a great movie i strongly recommend friday the 13th as a the original friday the 13th as a, as something that you would actually want to check out for horror movies then there's also Nightmare on Elm Street, and this movie scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, because there's something airy, something unsettled about going to sleep, and this killer is trying to kill you in your sleep, of all places, in your sleep. It's one thing to have uh, be able to be out and about and everything and doing your everyday thing, but then you want to actually get go to sleep after a busy day, and this person is wanting to kill you in your sleep, in your nightmares, using all your fears against you. And, you know, Wes Craven did an excellent job with this. And you know what? During that time, New Line Cinema is not what it was, what it is today. New Line Cinema was just this little small movie studio that barely drew anything in until Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street is what resurrected New Line in how it is today. And all those gallons of blood that they had to use to suck Johnny Depp into his bed and the practical effects for that was just phenomenal. And... You know, I still get the heebie-jeebies from listening to that theme song was One, Two, Freddy's Coming For You. That part right there can still give me goosebumps, still can give me a little bit of a nightmare or whatever, but still not as hardcore as it was when I was little because that actually scared the crap out of me. I still remember the Freddy Krueger dolls that were in Toys R Us. I remember all of that. And, you know, Robert England is probably is the only one that can actually play Freddy Krueger the way that he needs, he needs to be played. And you know what? I didn't like the remake for Freddy Krueger. And you know what? The pacing for this film is just fantastic as well. I know I say this a lot, but I'm going to give truth where truth is. The slow pacing of this film, not knowing why this person is killing these kids in their sleep. And then later on finding out that... It was the mothers who killed this guy because he was actually a child murderer and they take justice into their own hands, become judge, jury, and executioner because of the fact that the court and the cops let him go. And now these parents have to go ahead and put him down. And then later on, he comes back into the parents' lives by killing their kids because of the crimes that, because of the sins that those parents did to, to this person. And you know what? There's just something creepy. There's just something airy about that that gives me the creeps and everything. And I still think that Nightmare on Elm Street is probably one of the best movies that you can actually watch over and over again. The very first one, at least. The other ones in the franchise are actually pretty good. I still like Dream Warrior, and the one after Dream Warrior was actually good. But anything after that, I didn't really care for unless you really count 
uh, Wes Craven's new nightmare, but that's going to probably be taking place later on whenever I talk about that in the 90s, because that movie actually came out in the 90s. But I really have to say, I enjoy the very first Nightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, there's also another movie that I actually want to mention, The Shining. Speaking of blood, that thing with the elevator scene at the very beginning where you see the two twins, the two uh, sister twins, at the very beginning when you see the elevators open up and this goosh of blood just comes down. And you see this coming and see all this blood. It's just an airy feeling. It's an uncomfortable feeling and everything. And then Jack Nicholson is in this movie playing Jack. And, you know, what I like about this movie is there's layers to Jack Nicholson's character, Jack, because of the fact that he tried to quit drinking and he's actually sober now and he doesn't drink anymore. He's trying to be a better father to his son. He wants to make a comeback with this screenplay that he's writing and he feels like the Overlook is actually the best place for him because he'll be shot in all winter long with his family. He'll be able to grow as a family and everything and be able to finish his screenplay and take care of the Overlook Hotel. But later on, it comes to find out his kid has a shine, is a psychic, which is a psychic ability, which is a t- um, telekinesis type of uh, power. And also, too, the hotel's also haunted and therefore things start going awry for Jack. You have the ghost talking to Jack, trying to get him to kill his family, getting him to drink again, even though there's nothing there. And you're wondering, too, is this cabin fever or or is he really talking to these ghosts? And Stanley Kubrick did a fantastic job adapting a Stephen King novel to the big screen. Even though Stephen King didn't really like it, I felt like that it was really spot on to how the book was. I did not like Shelley Duvall as Wendy, but I can appreciate the fact that what they did with this film... And I really enjoyed that element to that movie as well. And it's still fresh in my mind today. And I'm still reading the novel because of the fact that there actually are coming up with a sequel to The Shining, which is Doctor Sleep, which is coming out in November. So there's that. And then you also have to look at other movies like Werewolf in London with the practical effects, the airiness of that movie, and people trying to survive in Paris. Not in Paris, that's the remake, but in England and people going missing and you don't know why they are going missing and then later on you find out that there are werewolves in london these people are trying to kill you and then not only that but this guy also sees his friend that's dead with his eyeball hanging out and there's that eerie feeling too because his friend is trying to warn him and warn him and warn him about these people and it's just an eerie feeling it's an uncomfortable feeling it still gives me goosebumps today it still makes me you know, it still makes me feel uncomfortable today. Even I have goosebumps just thinking about it right now. If you can actually look at me, which you can, but I actually have goosebumps just talking about this movie and the way it was played out. And, you know, like I mentioned before with the evil, um, with it being some movies being lighthearted and everything. What I mean by that is if you look at movies like return of the living dead and the evil dead, I'm, and let me tell you this, the evil dead was one of those movies that like, that first introduced Bruce Campbell to the horror scene. And what I, what I like about the fact is, yeah, it's cheesy, but there's just something airy about reading a book and then awakening these, this demon and possessing this girl. And then they actually have to try and survive the whole entire night, try and figure out a way to actually take this demon down, try and escape from this house, from this cabin. And it's just something phenomenal that we haven't seen before. 
in a horror film during the 1980s, at least to my understanding anyways, besides you have Friday the 13th, which takes place in a cabin and with the camp counselors and stuff like that. But like I said, it just gives you that eerie feeling of uncom- being uncomfortable. And that's something that I like about the Evil Dead. But it also has some funny moments too with Bruce Campbell. Has that cheesiness, has that che- cheesy feel to it. And that's why I like the Evil Dead. And I also like the Evil Dead remake as well by Sam Raimi. And Sam Raimi actually made the Evil Dead. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I just figured I'll give you a little bit of background about why I like certain movies. But anyways, as I mentioned before, Stephen King earlier also had his fingerprints on some movies in the 80s as well. Besides, uh, the sh- he had The Shining. He also had Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is also another airy movie where you actually have these people that move into this town and they're first their animal dies so they bury him but then they but they also found out too that there's actually an indian burial ground that is actually a pet cemetery for pets but you bury that pet that pet comes alive again but not the way that you remember it so this family goes on ahead and goes and buries this cat this pet and he comes alive and then he winds up trying to go after the family the family, of course, kills the cat and then winds up and then you think that everything's going to be okay, but no, something else happens in the family. There's this, actually this little kid that that winds up getting killed. I'm not going to say how, but here's the thing. With the remake, I can understand why they wouldn't have this scene in it, even though it's vital importance about why, this scene, why that's even in the movie in the first place, but man, I did not expect it to go dark like that, and then he buries his son, and then he bears his son in the pet cemetery, the, and the kid comes back alive and goes after the father, goes after the mother. Then, before you know it, they the father decides to do the dumb, stupid thing like every other horror movie does. He goes on ahead and tries to uh, bury the wife. The wife comes back and wants to kill him, and it's just one of those things where it gives you an airy feeling. It gives you that creepiness. It's, it's that bump at the in the night that I mentioned. It's that scary roller coaster ride, that way you want to be scared in the right kind of way. And it's actually an original concept, it's an original idea that hasn't been done before by the works of Stephen King. And Stephen King is still writing books today, still writing great novels. And also, there's also going to be, like I mentioned before, there's going to be a remake of It for Chapter 2. And then there's going to be the Shining sequel, which is going to be Doctor Sleep. And I think that this, those movies are actually going to be really good. To actually go and see. So, then let me mention this. Like I mentioned before, you had Sam Raimi who came on board in the 80s for The Evil Dead. And then it opened the doors for a little director named Joe Dante. And Joe Dante ended up directing movies like um, The Howling and Gremlins. And Gremlins, to me, was a great movie as well. And I still remember wanting to have a gizmo. Gizmo! And (laughs) that's just a little thing that I like to do anyways. I like seeing gizmo. Gizmo was actually my favorite character in there besides Spike, which is the evil gremlin. But, you know, I wanted a gremlin. But then you actually stop and think about all the stuff that you actually have to do to try and take care of this thing. And then you can't feed him past midnight. You can't get him wet. You can't let him have certain foods or anything like that. Or else he turns into this gruesome looking... Or else these little things pop out of his body and then it turns into a gremlin 
And, you know, and then this guy named Dave, he's just a nice go-around guy in this small town. And then these gremlins are terrorizing the town on Christmas. And guess what? This movie is actually a Christmas movie, in my honest, in, in all honesty, because of the fact that it takes place on Christmas. There's also some debate, too, where people say that this is not a Christmas movie. Screw that. It's a Christmas movie. I'm keeping it that way. Want to debate me? Send me out a voicemail. You know how to reach me. But it's a Christmas movie. I really enjoy Gremlins. Every single Christmas, I always watch Gremlins. The originality behind it. And also, too, I also like the little old man that actually owns the antique shop with all the other antiques in there. And then also owns also owns Gensmo as well. And then, and then, of course, you know, things go awry with on that Christmas day and stuff like that. And then there's also some horror comedy in there as well that actually gives you a little bit of comedy flavor to it. It doesn't take me out of the movie at all. It gives me that whole entire 80s nostalgia to where I can actually enjoy this movie for what it is. And then let me introduce you to another director too by the name of Tom Holland. No, I'm not talking about Spider-Man Tom Holland. I'm talking about Child's Play Tom Holland and Fright Night Tom Holland. This guy directed two of the best movies for horror. And yes, it's kind of cheesy when you look at Fright Night now. And even the remake for Fright Night was actually good. And I actually like them side by side. I like them equally. Same thing with the Evil Dead, original Evil Dead, and also the remake for Evil Dead. I like them both equally. But, you know, Fright Night, picture this. You have a next door neighbor. He brings a girl home. You and your friend are upstairs hanging out and chilling, doing whatever you do. And then you see this guy go in and he has sharp teeth getting ready to suck the blood out of this one woman this girl that he's on a date with and no one believes that this person is a vampire no one but you and your best friend and therefore you're trying to find out ways to actually prove that this guy's a vampire and he's not any good and then you also have this other character that's kind of like a van helsing kind of character to it and he's over there trying to find ways to actually bring bring this vampire down as well and at first he doesn't really believe that this that there's a vampire living next door until he sees what's going on and you know like I said it's just one of those cheesy 80s movies that you can actually fall in love with that you can actually enjoy without taking anything too seriously and like I mentioned before the practical effects for this movie was good the pacing for the film is good it's kind of a little bit more fast paced than what the other movies are but still, for what it is, it's a great movie. It's a great movie that you can actually pop into DVD player and watch on Halloween night and enjoy it. And now, I'm actually going to talk about Child's Play, which is also another movie that's directed by Tom Holland. And, you know, when you first see this movie, you actually see this guy running across the street, running away from a cop. He goes into this toy store. He winds up putting his soul into this doll. And then he the person then the mother winds up getting the doll from this peddler and for her son and so it was to be it's the same doll that the guy the serial killer charles lee ray puts his soul into and the very first person he sees is andy and now there's a connection why charles lee ray needs andy now because he wants to transform his soul back into human form which is the only way is through andy and Andy is trying to get away from him. He's trying everything to convince his parents, the cops and everything, that Chucky's the one who's behind this whole entire thing. Nobody believes him. And then all of a sudden, things happen with the doll and he comes alive and he's angry, he's pissed off, he wants Andy. And then, you know, 
the climax for this movie is just fantastic because of the fact that you don't know if Andy's going to live or not, if you don't know if if he's going to make this out alive. And the same thing with the mother, too. You don't know if she's going to make it out alive or if she's ever going to be the same again after what happened with the doll. So the very first original Child's Play, not the sequels, not the remake, is an excellent movie if you're just starting out watching horror movies. I strongly recommend that movie. And as well as, too, I also recommend... Uh, Fright Night too for beginners for people that are trying to start out watching horror movies because some people are like even in the horror group that I'm in they're like well how do I go about watching horror movies if I want to bring if my boyfriend's not into them or my girlfriend's not into them I always try to ease them into a certain movie to where it's not that bad and then once they start getting used to the horror formula then you can actually introduce them to something like a Nightmare on Elm Street or or some, something like that on those lines but you know, I really enjoyed Child's Play. And you know, the horror genre in the 80s might have subsided by the end of the 80s. And I'm actually going to mention one more thing before I start on the 90s stuff. Because Lost Boys, to me, was one of my favorite movies. I own this movie on Blu-ray. And I like what they did here. Do You have these two brothers that move into this town in California. And kids are going missing. And they don't know where they're at or anything like that there's actually this little legend to me it's like a legend because they don't because people are thinking that maybe these kids are thinking that it's a vampire or whatever and and you know what no one believes them that there's a vampire near them or anything like that and then of course later on he michael winds up meeting the head vampire and then he later on becomes a vampire and then there's also these other kids that work in a comic book shop and the youngest brother and everything goes into the comic shop and gets um, some vampire comics to actually know how to cope with what's going on with his brother and what he has to do and basically the two guys that actually own the shop tells him hey you need to kill your brother well he doesn't want to kill his brother so now he has to try and go after the head vampire and you know there's twists and turns to this movie it's a little bit of cheesiness it's great for a good popcorn fun time the soundtrack in my is awesome as well i really enjoy the lost boys soundtrack and i think that you guys will like the soundtrack as well so anyways what i want to talk about now is stuff that happened in the early 90s the early 90s brought universal critical acclaim for the horror genre like silence of the lamb sweeping the academy awards in 1992 who would have thought In 1992, of all the years, a horror movie like Silence of the Lambs would actually bring home the Academy Award, giving one of the best performances from Anthony Hopkins himself, Sir Anthony Hopkins, and playing Hannibal Lecter, the most memorable characters in the horror genre, who's a cannibal, who's also a serial killer, who has to go and help Jodie Foster try and find this other this other killer that's just like him and giving them tips, giving the FBI tips on how to actually bring down the serial killer. And he's actually locked up in this cage and Jodie Foster has to go in and try and make certain things, negotiate him, make negotiations and everything to try and bring Buffalo Bill down. And then Buffalo Bill's also dressing up like his victims. That's also another scary thing too. Because he's also dressing up like his victims. He dresses up like a woman. He dresses up like a man. He changes his eye color. He does everything to make himself look like 
the person that he's killed. And you know what? The pacing in, in this movie is very slow-paced. It's not very one-dimensional. There's layers to Hannibal Lecter. There's motivation behind Le- Hannibal Lecter's, Le- Lecter's actions on why he's helping her. You don't know that until, like, the very end. But the payoff at the end is really good. And if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, I strongly recommend that you guys check out Silence of the Lambs because of the fact that the score for the movie was really good. It's on the edge of your seat type of thing. There's layers to the characters like I mentioned before. It's an original concept. It's an original idea. The originality behind it is really good. And you know, let's also talk about this. A year after Kathy Bates won the lead actress for Misery, which is also another Stephen King property, and she knocked it, that performance out of the park whenever you think about it. You actually have this woman who's obsessed with this author. And I think Stephen King probably used himself as the author. And this obsessed fan is obsessed with him to the point where she actually gets him in a car accident. And then she tries to take care of him. And then she was not satisfied with the way Miser- the new Misery book is. So she wants him to rewrite it. And he doesn't want to rewrite it or anything like that so she takes a sledgehammer to his knees now and and knocks his kneecaps out of place that was a gruesome scene for what it was the tension build up not knowing if this dude's gonna survive or not how is he gonna escape Kathy Bates the whole entire tension build up and everything as well with the soundtrack with the way the score is and everything it just gives you one of those things that people out there are crazy and they can actually do stuff like this in today's time as well especially if you look the way look at stuff that is going on in the world today but misery is still one of the top movies for me for me as a Stephen King fan too besides The Shining besides Salem's Lot The Shining was really uh, not The Shining but Misery was one of those movies that was really good and Kathy Bates knocked that performance right out of the park and then we also have Whoopi Goldberg winning Best Supporting Actress for Ghost and you know I like Ghost for what it is I like her as the as the uh, sidekick looking at um, looking at you know because of what happened with Patrick Swayze's character and stuff like that, and the chemistry, too, but with Demi Moore. And you know what? I think that, you know what? I enjoyed her, Whoopi Gober's performance. There's nothing wrong with Whoopi Gober's performance at all. And I think that she did, she she knocked it out of the park, and she deserved to have the, be- the best uh, supporting actress award for the Academy Awards and everything. So... With that being said, with the success, with her success, it seemed to spur the studios into large-scale projects like Bram Stoker's Dracula, an interview with the vampire, and Wolf in 1996. Now, here's the thing. Bram Stoker's Dracula, I'm not going to tell you to go out and see it. And here's why. The dialogue was really bad. The flow of the movie style was really bad. Keanu Reeves doing an English accent was really bad. It's like a surfer boy trying to do an English accent. It just doesn't work for Keanu. I love Keanu Reeves as an actor. I love him and John Wick. I love him in all the other movies. But for Bram Stoker's Dracula, including Winona Ryder in this movie, I did not like the. I did not like it. The only person that I can actually say that actually gave his 110 best performance. Not saying the other ones didn't, but they did the best they could for what this what they gave him with the script 
was, in fact, Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman did a fantastic job playing Dracula. You can actually feel his presence on the screen. He's really spooky. He's really scary. He's actually someone that you want to be scared of and everything, and you don't want to go to sleep knowing that this guy is going to actually come in the middle of the night to suck your blood. And you know what? Bram Stoker's Dracula wasn't okay. wasn't one of the best movies in, at all during that time. And then you also have Interview with a Vampire, which had Tom Cruise, and you also had, and you also have Brad Pitt, and you also, have, and you know what? You have this vampire named Lestat. Lestat's trying to understand everything that from a vampire and, and stuff like that, and you know everything comes into full focus with things. And, you know, I really have to say I really enjoyed Interview with a Vampire because of this little build-up. Then you also have him trying to figure out how to cope, have this vampire on how to cope as a vampire and learning from Louis on how to, how to actually do what he has to do to be, uh, to be a vampire. And then he wants to have a family. And then he winds up doing the most gruesome thing. He winds up getting a little girl to be his daughter and then the daughter wants a mother so he winds up doing what he felt like was right there's still some human emotions inside of him even though he's a vampire and that is something that i really liked about it It gives him layers it gives him gives us something to where it's actually different and ann rice was actually the one who actually made who actually wrote interview with a vampire and a matter of fact we were supposed to get a sequel to the book for interview with the vampire i'm not sure if that's still going to happen or not i'm not sure if we're even going to get a movie for that but i hope so because i really would like to see more of interview with the vampire and even with uh antonio banderas being in this movie too and stuff like that you actually have some great performances you actually have great practical effects you actually have great lighting the cinematography is just fantastic the score is really good the pacing of the film is real slow and then once the tension is built up and the tension is let go it's everything that you actually want from an interview with a vampire movie and then with wolf in 1996 i'm gonna tell you this jack nicholson gives you a good performance when it's dealing with uh the wolf because here's the thing the original wolfman took place in the 1930s and they still use the stuff from the 1930s for the legends and stuff like that that they used for it. Like getting uh, the only way to kill a werewolf is through a silver bullet or through something silver like a cane. And you can actually kill him with with it. And then there's also two. They tried locking him into um, a building trying to get him not to be a, a trying to figure out a way to actually control him. And then there's a twist at the end with Michelle Pfeiffer that I really like that's actually dark. Two, two as well. Like I said, this movie is really good for what it was for the night in late ninety in ninety six, and I strongly recommend Wolf. And then, um, and like I mentioned before, in nineteen ninety six, we had Scream. This this movie is Scream. It's actually directed by Wes Craven, and which also gave us Ghostface, and I enjoy Scream for what it is. It gives you the rules of what a scary movie is you don't ever say i'll be right back because you don't ever know if you're actually going to be right back it gives you the rules of the movie of what not to do in a horror movie and then these kids you're wondering if these kids are actually going to die by ghostface you don't know who ghostface is there's a little sense of mystery to it there's this fast-paced start to the movie especially with drew barrymore's um 
character where she's making popcorn. She's getting ready to watch a horror movie with her boyfriend and the killer calls her up and then she gets the answer wrong and then the killer winds up killing her and her boyfriend and now the the town's pretty much on lockdown and curfews and stuff like that and Wes Craven did a fantastic job with actually doing what he needed to do get from his actors and actresses and you know this actually started the whole entire thing with uh, teens being killed off in movies as well for the 90s and you know then there was also uh, some similar films like I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend. I didn't care for I Know What You Did Last Summer. Even as a kid, I didn't really care for I, did, I Know What You Did Last Summer. I thought everything was like very one-dimensional. There was nothing really there for me to go on or anything like that. I even read the book. The only difference between the book and the movie, the killer has a gun in the book. In the movie, he has a hook. That's the only two differences in the movie, in the, from the book t- to the movie. And Urban Legend was really good if you really like Urban Legend movie type movies where you're talking about Bloody Mary, Candyman, and stuff like that. If you're into that kind of stuff, I strongly recommend Urban Legend. And then at the end of the decade, we had... Get this. At the end of the decade, we actually had Blade. Blade now, back... And let me tell you this. No one knew that Blade was actually a comic book-based movie at all. Matter of fact, 1996 was like the last movie... That Arnold, that Batman was even done because of bat nipples, because of the corny lines, because of how horrible that movie was, and stuff like that. And now you have this other character named Blade, who's half human, half vampire, and he's going around killing other vampires. And nobody knew that this was actually a comic book based movie, and everybody loved it from the time at the very beginning when Blade is going into this underground club killing these vampires and the club music is just going off the rails with this techno music. I love the techno music. I love the feel for it. I love Blade. I like Wesley Snipes' Blade. I'm so excited for this reboot even though Wesley Snipes not going to be in it but he's actually rumored to actually be playing Dracula and I'm actually all for the fact that they want to actually put him as Dracula if that's the case which is rumored right now, so pump the brakes on that because they might actually change him into another character or whatever. But Dab Blade, a comic book based, which also paved the way for comic book based movies. This is what the MCU, because of this movie, that's why we have the MCU now. If we didn't have Blade, we wouldn't have the MCU now. We wouldn't have probably any, hardly any comic book based movies that's going into production now. Thanks to Blade, he saved the comic book franchise. He's This is why we actually have a comic book based movies now is all because of Blade because of Wesley Snipes because of his performance because of the soundtrack because of the way they actually did the movie and then that's also why too we actually have two other Blade movies too so Blade was actually one of my favorite movies during that time period and now here's another thing too that I want to talk about in 1999 we witnessed two of the biggest surprise hits of the decade regardless in genre in the sixth sense and the Blair Witch Project now uh M.I. Shamini actually directed and wrote uh the sixth sense now during that time he was getting the big head like he was going to be the next Steven Spielberg and because of his success with the sixth sense and then signs and that's also why, too, that, that that's also, too, why he was doing his own thing and not listening to the studios, not listening to what anybody else has has to say or anything, 
was because of the fact that people put him on this pedestal that he was going to be the next Steven Spielberg and he didn't want to listen to anybody. And that's not the way you're supposed to do. At least listen to the studio and listen to what they have to say, especially if you're first starting out as a director. I can understand if you got your foot in the door and you're one and you're like two for two or three for well he was two for two but you're like three for three or four for four yeah I can understand you wanted to not to listen to the studio but with him you needed to actually listen because of the fact that you were not because now nobody wanted to actually take a chance on him after that but anyways the way he did the sixth sense was just creepy the slow tension build up with bruce willis you're not wondering what's going on with it then you also have the fact too that the twist at the end of this movie and then once everything comes into balance once everything comes into full focus again with the sixth sense it's just it's just phenomenal it's a phenomenal movie it's actually one of those movies that i recommend to at least watch one time because i feel like this the fair factor for this movie is good for a one-time view but if you watch it repeatedly, you already know everything that's going to happen. You already know the twist at the end. You already know the whole entire thing with Bruce Willis. And it just becomes one-dimensional. Now, if you only if you never saw the movie, then you're in for a throw ride of your life. And if you're try, someone trying to introduce somebody into horror movies who hasn't seen The Sixth Sense, go for it. Because I think they're going to wind up loving this movie. And I know that I said before that M. Night Shyamalan was like three for three or whatever... But I forgot to mention Unbreakable, and then I forgot to mention, and then of course I mentioned The Sixth Sense, and then I mentioned um, Signs. So he was three for three, but he still thought that he was the big shot out on the street, thinking that he was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. He needed to have a lot more work done before he even puts himself on that pedestal. And because other people put him on that pedestal, that's why he, by movie studios, removed his name from certain movies and everything and now he's making a comeback especially with split and then you also have the other the sequel to um split and unbreakable as well and you know which is actually i haven't seen that one yet but i want to get i want to see it but anyways the blair witch project even though i don't like down footage movies i still appreciate what they try to do something that was different and this was actually the introduction introduction to uh, found footage movies and you know I really don't like I said I, if you want to make me fall asleep faster put me in front of a found footage movie because I'm gonna be knocked out because that's what happened to me whenever I saw Paranormal Activity uh, and the very first one and all I remember was closing my eyes and next thing you know it opened up my eyes and the ushers had to wake me up because that's how bad it was that's how bad I can't stand something that's on camera but I can appreciate the art I can appreciate them trying something new with Blair, the Blair Witch Project there's actually something scary about being lost in the woods especially when you're with these friends investigating the Blair Witch stuff and things like that but for me personally I didn't really care for it it's not my cup of tea I don't really care for found footage movies and I'm probably never will do a found footage review on anything that's actually coming out but Still, if you enjoy them, that's cool. For me, it just doesn't work out for me. <laughs> but anyways, now I'm going to get into the early 2000s and go from there. Okay, so in the 21st century, horror in the U.S. has been identified with remakes like Friday the 13th, Halloween, Dawn of the Dead, The Ring, and The Grudge. And 
you know, I can actually appreciate Michael Bay's company trying to actually, production company trying to do something new and fresh for Friday the 13th. And I remember going to the midnight showing for this. I remember actually being excited for Friday the 13th. And you know what? I saw it twice in February. And I enjoyed what they were trying to do with it. I really enjoyed the what they were some they were trying something different with it. And you know, everything is one dimensional of course with this movie. We already know Jason's going to go out on a killing spree. We already know he's going to try and kill these kids and stuff like that. And it's all been done before. But can I I'm going to tell you this. I can actually recommend the remake for at least a one-time view just to check it out. Just to see what you think. Then the Halloween remake from Rob Zombie, I really enjoyed it because it gave us another level of what Michael went through as a kid and how how they were able to incorporate that about how he was bullied as a kid, about how he went through a horrible time and everything. And then his uh, he kills his sister, kills the mother's boyfriend, and then he's in a mental institution. And then, of course, Dr. Loomis comes in and does his thing and... Michael escapes and goes after Lori, Lori all over again. And then, of course, you actually have the second Rob Zombie uh, Halloween movie that came out. But I, I actually enjoyed the remake for Halloween that came out in 2007. Dawn of the Dead was also another remake. And then, of course, The Ring, The Grudge, which I didn't really care for The Ring. I didn't care for The Grudge that much at all because of the pacing, because of how fast it was, fast-paced, one-dimensional, cheap jump scares, no tension build-up, nothing there that actually made me excited for, for this movie at all, for those two movies. And then, um, but there have been invocations within American horror, most notably, like, the torture porn, like the Saw movies and the Hostel. Now, James Wan is one of my favorite directors and I liked what he did with the very first Saw movie you have these two guys in one room there's nothing else there there's this dead body that's laying in between them and something you're wondering how how are these two people connected to something and you're wondering why are they even there in the first place and once you find out why they're connected there why they're in this Jigsaw game together why Jigsaw is after them then you realize the twist at the end. And once you get to that twist at the end, that slow build up through the whole entire thing, the tension just lets go. This thing becomes a whole entire different ball game. Danny Glover's in this movie. James Wan did this movie for as little as nothing. And then he made a, this movie made a big old huge franchise out of it. And then Hostel and everything. I didn't really care for Hostel. It's just about these kids that go out on, go to France and everything, tour in France. And... Basically, all their stuff gets stolen at the hostel, hotel. Then, next thing you know it, they wind up getting kidnapped one by one. They wind up trying to escape. And, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, the U.S., there is a great variety of edgy and innovated material as there has ever been done before in the genre. From Canada, like Ginger Snaps, to France, High Tensions, to Spain, The Orphanage. To the UK, 20 Days Later, which is another zombie film that's actually really good if you haven't seen it. And, of course, Asia from Hong Kong, The Eye, to Japan. And Lychee the Killer, to Korea, to Korea, A Tale of Two Sisters, and Thailand, 
Shutter. The 2000s are relatively short films other than franchises that stand out include The Cabin in the Woods, Number 10, Clover, uh, Cloverfield Lane, and The Gift. I'm just going to talk about The Cabin in the Woods for a minute. If you want a good original film that's actually really good, check out Cabin in the Woods. Because Cabin in the Woods was something new, something different. The only thing I have to say about Cabin in the Woods that I didn't like was how it was actually rushed. But other than that, though, it's a solid film. It's actually a very enjoyable film. It's something, even Chris Hemsworth is in it for at least five minutes anyways because of something that happens. But it's where these scientists are actually uh, looking at this cabin and these kids are in the cabin and they unleash all these monsters that they have in the facility out into the open and those monsters actually try killing these characters. And they're also another thing too is there's actually no way to actually escape because of the things that they do because they have ways of controlling the weather. They actually have ways of keeping them at bay over at the cabin. As a matter of fact, this movie was even written like three or four days and everything. And this movie is great for a great watch. And now I'm also going to talk about Your Next. Your Next is actually a good original movie. It's actually underrated. And a matter of fact, it has a uh, female lead. And I like it when they actually have female leads in movies because it changes things up a little bit. But it's where she's trying to survive not being killed from these people that break into this their house and oh my god she is a beast when it comes down to trying to survive she tries to set up traps for these people to try and kill them she tries to take them down you're wondering how this one character is actually going to survive through this whole entire thing and man it's just phenomenal it's awesome you need to check it out if you haven't seen it i've also recommend don't breathe don't breathe is a good one and then you know um don't, like I said, Don't Breathe is a good one. It's about these kids who break into this guy's house. And he's actually a retired uh, Marine. And he can't see or anything. And basically, he knows that there's people in this house. So he winds up boarding up the house, locking the doors. Basically, he's saying, you're stuck here in here with me. So now you have to survive to try and take me down in order to get out. And the camera angles, the way the thing pans over from the guy, from from the guy and everything that can't see back over to the kids and he's killing these kids and everything and oh my god there's actually no background noise nothing there to actually let you know that something creepy is coming and that's actually something that you actually want to have from a horror movie another good movie is the conjuring the first two conjuring movies directed by james wan slow tension build up no background noise nothing to actually let you be noticed or anything like that that there's something horrifying happening in in a horror movie and it doesn't rely on cheap jump scares just like don't breathe doesn't rely on cheap jump scares at all there's reasons for the why characters are acting the way they are the violence actually is there to serve a purpose it's just not there for like the gore factor or anything like that and it actually is there to increase your viewing experience so i recommend that and then i'm going to recommend a quiet place <clears throat> picture this you actually have this little small town that's actually an apocalyptic type of deal to where these aliens are actually attacking anybody that makes any kind of sound and there's actually hardly any dialogue between the characters or anything like that. But the way they look at each other and everything, they're actually interacting with each other without even talking. So that's actually another good way. That's actually another good horror movie because of something like that. Not only that, but even the daughter who's in this movie is actually real, is deaf in real life. And Emily Blunt and her real husband's in this movie as well. 
and they do a phenomenal job with this movie. And they're and you're wondering too, how are they going to survive this? Especially when Emily Blunt is actually pregnant with their next kid and everything, and they actually have everything to provide for the kid, everything there. So check out A Quiet Place. I recommend that. And also too, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. From 2008 to 2010 marked the age of vampire movies and TV shows. Like we had the stupid Twilight movies. We had True Blood. I really enjoyed True Blood. And then we also had um, The Vampire Diaries. And then from 2009, which started off with Zombieland. And then it started with... uh, Then after that, it ended up with The Walking Dead. From 2010 till now. And zombie movies are starting to actually bottom out now. It's not a new thing anymore. But I'm excited to see Zombieland Double Tap when it really comes out. But from 2008 and 2010, that's when we marked the marker for vampire movies and TV shows. And I know that we also had the 28 Days Later, which came out like in 04 or 05 or somewhere around that area. But still, that marked the age of where it is now. So anyways, tell me what you guys think. Did you like this segment on how horror movies have changed during its time from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, early 2000s, later 2000s? Tell me what you guys think. I'm curious to know what you guys think about this segment. And I'm also going to be talking about tomorrow, what takes me out of the takes me out of the movie, what makes me want to leave a movie. I think you guys are going to find that kind of interesting, because I know I do. And then, of course, I'm going to talk a little bit of Marvel news. I'm going to talk about a little bit of uh, different movies that are coming out that I'm excited for. And so, anyways, just go on ahead, stick around, let me know what you guys think about this whole entire segment. And you know what? Thank you guys for being an awesome, awesome fans and giving me feedback and trying to make me be a better podcaster. So, with further ado, until next time, bye-bye.